0: You are listening to Fantha Tracks.
1: Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening.
0: time to get all your Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts, Mark Newbold and Mark Wocaster.
1: That's not true. That's impossible.
0: You're listening to episode 62 of Making Tracks, brought to you by the fine folk over at fanfortracks.com. My name's Mark, and as always, I am joined by a man who I only learned this week has never in his entire life, played a game of Monopoly, Mr. Mark Newbold.
1: Never. Never played Monopoly, never sung Roll Out the Barrel. It's two things that me and my mum swore we'd never do, and so far, uh, I haven't, but I'm sure it'll come.
0: I learnt that, and I learnt lots lots and lots and lots on the debut episode of Good Morning Tatooine. Do you want to tell us more about that?
1: I did. And it was a it was a very pleasant surprise. Brian has been working on this for a long time. Brian made it a, a mission of his to try and get Tracks TV back up and running, get content on there again and get things get things moving. And this was the platform he wanted to use to do it. So he's put a lot of work into the graphics, into the music, into all sorts of stuff. It looks very slick and professional. As we speak tonight, it's Sunday, we always record on a Sunday, the second live episode's going out tonight with myself, Brian again, and Matt. Brian's always going to be the host. He's the host of the show. It's his show. But he'll have different people from the site will come on as sort of co-hosts with Brian over the week. So it should be fun. It means people get to see more of the team. And, yeah. and hopefully, you know, there'll be guests coming on as well. We'll have other people come on. So, yeah, it's uh, it was fun to do. It's good. It's very good. And you can check
0: that out on, like you said, Fafa Tracks uh, live stream. And also it will be on the fan 4 TV YouTube channel as well. So it's it's awesome. It's definitely worth checking out if um if you've got some time. And it's one of those things that, it you know, visually it works really well because obviously this is something that we as podcasters who are audio-based only struggle with a little bit is mm. that, you know, we talk about certain things and, you know, we're referring to Star Wars, which is very much a visual medium. So having an outlet where we can actually have pictures up and yeah. people can actually talk, you know, see what, what we're talking about I think it's a great thing. So I'm all in for that. And like you said, Brian's done an amazing job. So hopefully it will be a regular mainstay of a Fan for tracks offering. Hello, I'm Ahmed Best and you're listening to Femta Tracks. So on Friday, like uh, most people, I was in work a little bit later because I stayed at home just to watch Chapter 10 of The Mandalorian. This is the continuation of Season 2. And from what I've heard and what I've seen online, slightly more mixed reviews and what Chapter 9 got the first debut episode for season two. Mark, what did you reckon?
1: We've put the review on, the Fantha review on, and we had some people online had, had used the word filler, which always sort of deflates me a little bit because Yes. It reminded me a little bit of chapter two from season one with the Sandcrawler and the Off-World Jawas. It was it was quite linear as a storyline. It was quite, you know, straightforward. And I said in my review, I think I think Mandalorian works really well when the plot is more straightforward and almost the character development is the A story, and and the plot is is the B story. It's not necessarily, or certainly not at this point, particularly plot driven. Because Mando's still trying to figure the way to sort this issue out, and he and he hasn't. He's searching for his people. You know, he's still getting to grips with essentially being a single dad. I very much enjoyed this episode because it was fairly straightforward. You know, we're kicking off on Tatooine again, which I didn't expect. That was fun, you know, and, th- and there's that pr- sort of pre-title sequence moment, which I thought was probably the best pre-credit sequence in the whole show so far. Oh, Just yeah, totally. Me up. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Just the whole tone of it. Even in the first sort of 10 minutes, we revisited familiar places, which was great fun. What did you think of it?
0: To be honest, I've seen a lot of people on my Facebook feed, especially kind of say, oh, it was filler. We can't have filler in The Mandalorian. And I kind of feel like if you have a filler episode, that tends to be when there's absolutely no plot development in the overall storyline. But yet, this was a smaller step, shall we say, for The Mandalorian to take, but he's still being propelled on his way. The story yeah. has moved on. There is that point in me where I want to be a little bit argumentative and kind of actually ask what do people expect? Do people expect these big Great Dragon moments in every single episode now? Or is it just the fact that because we are so early into the storyline or we're so early in the season that actually that's why people have maybe been a little bit harsher because they were maybe expecting a a stronger episode but you said it exactly it kind of so far season 1 and season 2 the first two episodes have this kind of mirror thing going on it they feel like similar episodes even though they're kind of contrastingly different you think of the first ever chapter is contrastingly different to chapter 9 yeah but there's something about it maybe they're playing with this whole mirror Theory thing that George Lucas did in the prequels, especially. But I was all right with it. I've watched it. I've seen it a couple of times. It's a little bit shorter than the previous episode, but I don't think it suffers the same issues with pace at all. I think there's some moments of story convenience going on, Mm. especially his rescue. I was a little bit, can I? That just seems a little bit like they kind of wrote themselves into a corner and they literally couldn't find a way to write them out of it in a believable way. I was expecting Baby Yoda to do his crazy Baby Yoda force stuff or something. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, I think it's quite nice that they didn't rely on that. But yeah, it's it's kind of like a beastie kind of episode. You do get those in Star Wars, kind of get these episodes. And again, it sometimes feels like the the influence of the episode is maybe a little bit more obvious than I think it could be at times. It, if we kind of say that Chapter Nine was the the Tremors slash June episode, this was very much the Aliens slash arachnophobia type episode. And it was directed by Peyton Reed, who directed Ant-Man. Once you kind of understand that, you kind of think, well, okay, so did they just sit round this writing session for season two and said, right, let's do some kind of like insect type attack episode. Who are we going to get to direct it? And somebody's kind of gone, oh no, let's get the guy who directed Ant-Man. It kind of has that kind of feel about it. But that's not to say it's a bad episode at all. I mean, there's some really great moments.
1: So therefore, I don't think it's necessarily
0: as bad as some people have said.
1: No, not at all. I mean, you make a good point about the comparisons between the two second episodes in each season. And one thing I, I did note, and it sort of strikes me even more now I think about it, the first episode of season two, they're taking down a crate dragon. In this episode, they're taking down the knobbly white spiders, the sort of the Macquarie type spiders. In the first two episodes of the first season, in the first episode, there's the Ravenak, which is the same planet as this, weirdly. It's the same planet you saw in the very first episode. So, you know, mm. you see him take out that as it attacks the Razor Crest. And then in the second episode, it's with the Mudhorn. You made the great comparison to episode four, or rather chapter four, with the Raider, the ATSC Raider. So there is this sort of monster of the week thing. And the one thing I said was one of the criticisms of the EU, for example, I didn't say this in the review, but one of the criticisms of the EU was that it became super weapon of the week. In the yes, EU, didn't very it? much, you yeah. Know? Not that they ran out of ideas, but it kind of fits the galaxy. If if there's this arms mm. race going on, it kind of makes sense. But it did get a bit repetitive. Return of the Jedi was the first to do it. It brings back a Death Star. Then Force Awakens brings back a bigger Death Star. Rise there's of Skywalker, always a bigger fish, exactly. Rise of Skywalker brings in you know, Star Destroyers clues in the title that can blow up planets. So you got a fleet of Death Stars essentially. Mando's such a fresh take on Star Wars and such a, a different. Vibe and feel it worries me to a degree, and I love watching these action orientated episodes. I mean, I I watched it first thing in the morning, I think it came at about eight o'clock because the clocks went back, didn't they? They we went back a week before America did so, yeah, exactly. Everyone was there at seven o'clock waiting for it, and it dropped at eight o'clock to see those things for the first time. Very alien when the egg drops down, it's like that's alien. Then the little thing he picks it up, sticks it in his mouth, it's horrible. He's chomping away on the egg, all the other eggs start opening completely alien, and then these things come out. Oh, cool, that's like the Macquarie spider. That's kind of cool. And then the big one turns up, like Aragog out of Chamber of Secrets. Good grief. I mean, that whole sequence was... Just insanely good. But again, the convenience of the x wings turning up. And I didn't mind Faloni so much in this one. It bugged the no. hell out of me the first time. But this time it's like, that was cool. But I'm just worried they're gonna fall into the trope for this show could end up being, ah, monster of the week. We did not know what we're gonna do week. this week. Let's have him take out a big monster that oh I'll well, be a Rancor in episode seven. Or mm. you know what I mean? I don't want that to be the thing. I think the show's smarter than that.
0: I just get that feeling that this, this was like a bridge episode. If you read a book, um not every chapter is a big cliff. Or is a big reveal unless it's like a Dan Brown novel. For instance, you know you read Lord of the Rings, and those some of those chapters are like whacking great big like chapters, and not a huge amount happens in them. True, Mando's got to get from A to B, Mm. and so he's accosted on his way by the New Republic X wings. Yeah, and he has to take a sidestep, but then he's still got to get to B. The quest was laid in front of him, and they've kind of said, get to this other planet. There's potentially Mandalorians there. Oh, by the way, conveniently, we've got this frog lady who needs yeah. to get there as well.
1: Didn't that feel a little bit like Last Jedi, the guy with the red plum bloom, and he's the only one that can crack the code, and then they get locked yeah. into a random prison cell, and the guy in the prison cell says, I can do that, and they believe him. It, it was a convenient story thing, wasn't it, in that sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think
0: possibly we might look back because this might just be a minor, small little thing yeah. in the grand scheme of things. This is yeah. kind of like the equivalency of um, Monday morning, you wake up, you've got to get to work, but you've got to go to the post office on your way.
1: <laughs> yeah, get that. Yep, yep.
0: It could just be that kind of trivial. I mean, yeah. let's, let's not forget just how big... Stunning it was, and that interplanetary kind of chase around the clouds and stuff just looked amazing oh, it was again. Beautiful,
1: uh, the, the, the way they got the light. I think for me, the thing that lit the lighting, it, yeah, the lighting the, that early morning first light feel mm. of that chase was like you just if you looked at your clock, you know it was about seven in the morning when that happened, wasn't it? Yeah things are starting to slot into place when you kind of think, well, actually
0: he's really operating in a really small area of the mm. galaxy. Mm. but You suddenly start to get an idea of like the relations. Cause like I said, in my part of the review anyway, on fan tracks that, you know, the new Republic must be really struggling because I've only got three or four X-Wing pilots out
1: in the rim. Yeah.
0: About <coughs> that makes sense. Cause he, you know, there's no real kind of sense obviously of time passing too much. It's not like we, we know that we're going like weeks or months and, and there's a big Space journeys that he's taken. So to kind of suddenly realize that actually this is all happening in a sector mm. starts to make sense. And it's, I think, also it starts to work to the disadvantage of the Mandalorian because, as he says, he needs to move and he needs to move quickly to stay ahead yeah. of. For bounty hunters and stuff, which is possibly yeah. you know to his detriment, based on how long he may have spent on Tatooine to, just to help out um, the villagers and stuff.
1: Well, some people online had sort of pulled a little face at the opening sequence where they set the tree. You, know, you see the Nikto and the little Tito top character that yeah. similar to the Force Awakens guy, you know, and that that little sequence at the beginning. How did they find him? How convenient? I didn't see the convenience in that because they're bounty no. hunters and yeah. they you know it's what Mando does himself track other people down. So that. That, that made sense to me. And also it's Tatooine, it's Moss Eisley, it's the Wretched Hive, and Jabber's Palace doesn't have Jabba any more, anymore, but... You would imagine there's quite possibly still a very heavy criminal underworld contingent Fringe, yeah, on Tatooine, yeah. so that makes sense. So I didn't mind that at all. Mando having to go sublight in this one—it's almost as amazing as him keep leaving his ship wide open so people can walk in and, <laughs> and just take stuff. <laughs> yeah, but, you, know, it, you can always imagine him going sublight. What well, he does, doesn't he? Sublight? No way. I'm not going to sublight. That's 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 insane. You know, Anchors. yeah, but. He's got a conscience, hasn't he? That box of look like like peaches floating in water, don't they? Pickled like eggs. eggs. Pickled eggs. That bowl of spawn, I guess it is. In this episode, that's the child, and in this episode, Baby Yoda might as well be the Zillow beast, where he goes munching through them.
0: I don't know what like the, like the death toll is from from Baby Yoda's <laughs> little feast, and that. I yeah. mean, there's that one cutesy shot, isn't there, where he's right up close and you see the see him looking through the glass, yeah. and his face is all kind of distorted and stuff. And yes, I think that was meant to be done cutely, but as you say, you could kind of flip that. He is probably the greatest threat to that. Offspring than anybody else, like on on that ship or he, in, he in the He was Gizmo and Stripe in that scene, wasn't he? Yes, it was a well humoured episode, and yes. I think there's definitely we're seeing more humour in this season so far than we we ever have done in the previous season. I, I think, barring maybe episode seven or eight, I think there was a little bit of levity there, but there's definitely more of these kind of nice kind of moments there's definitely an expectation from the audience to see Baby Yoda. You could plonk him in a in a crib and keep him out of the way for the whole episode. I think a large portion of the people who watch this, who aren't necessarily Star Wars fans, are maybe tuning in a little bit for the Baby Yoda show. Yeah. So we've got to keep him in play. I thought it was great to actually see the puppetry kind of evolve a little bit. I wasn't necessarily sure how his movement was. It kind of looked a bit unnatural. I don't know if it was because it was puppetry of him walking to the, to the eggs and they CG'd out the, the puppeteers, or if it was a full CG baby Yoda, but it just didn't quite look quite so natural. And I don't know if they were meant to be going for that or they were kind of embracing the puppet aspect of, of the character.
1: Yeah. I mean, one, one thing I saw online was after the bounty hunter grabs him and then obviously Mando launches him off on the rocket pack, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> bad ending for the dude but I thought it was funny uh, and then the Elon Musk style landing of the jetpack which just looked yes. like the Falcon <laughs> boosters which I thought was funny uh, the way that Baby Yoda or the child I should say runs back to Mando the amount of people just melting over that little sequence so that that looked like and I don't know I mean we'll find out hopefully there will be some sort of if not a series then some sort of special Disney Gallery episode to give us a, an update on how ILM have pushed on Stagecraft this year amongst other things because it's the anime animatronics as well, like you say, yeah. whether it's done like a Brian Herring style with BBA, and they painted out the puppeteer, or whether it was a full CG thing, Gizmo's the best I mean, he's way bigger than Gizmo, but you know what I mean. It's yeah. that sort of comparison point for me. I think is is that sort of small movements, like babies do. They've not got their full control of the muscles yet, so there's a slight jerky. Like kittens compared to cats, isn't it? Cats are watered through a pipe. Kittens are sort of ice down a drain. You know, sort of jerky little movements and such. And Baby Yoda's got that about him. There was a humour to it, and the one thing that really stood out to me one. Never trust Peli Motto because she gives Mando this whole spiel about this passenger and all these things, she's just met the lady. So she's typical Tatooine and grifter and yes, totally. yeah. So that But that's fine because <laughs> I think Mando's got the measure of her in that sense. I think he, he understands that. But just how hard he works as a character, yeah, he just gets up and works. He just gets on with it and just cracks on. This episode, his ship is knocked to bits, you know, and he's like, right, let's get to work. And and he's just push on, push on, keeps going, keeps working. How messy that ship gets when those spiders come in and start squirting their webs everywhere. I mean, it did, it did seem to kind of get very spider's nest, very you know, very quickly, didn't yeah. it? Like, yeah, yeah.
0: From when they were chasing him to when he next appears out from there. When I watched this episode, and I guess I had to remember that he's walked all the way back into Moss Isley, and then he hasn't, like you said, he hasn't stopped. So, like, even when he crashes, well, we know from like, places like Hoff and stuff that things get really, really cold at night. So, you would have thought that the first thing he wanted to do before he tries to have a nap and have a go of a kip is to make sure that the Razor Crest is insulated enough and that everybody's going to be able to survive the night. Baby Yoda may have frozen to death, let alone be, um, the frog lady. Has she even got a name? Did we, no. she credit, has she no, credited with a name or anything? No, no, she
1: isn't. Because as well as the review going on the site, obviously, we've also got the Guide to the Mandalorian that Sander writes for us. Uh, and that's how I knew about the planet from Chapter 1 and the planet from this being the same world. It's in that piece on the site. Check it out. It's, it's a featured article. The Frog Lady, I think in the credits, is literally referred to as Frog Lady, and she's played by the same performer that played Quill.
0: Cool, nice, yeah. She was all right. It's difficult, isn't it, to, sometimes to articulate a character? I thought the, the clever use of um, the droid yes. from Chapter 6, that was pretty cool. That made a lot of sense, I thought.
1: Now yeah, it's good to see him. It's always good to, to hear him, uh, Richard Ayoade, isn't it, turn up? You know, he's got such a distinctive
0: voice. I didn't cotton on to that during chapter six and i even checked the credits and found out he did the voice but this time it was really clear and obvious that it was him i don't know if it was just like the dialogue and the script and the stuff in in the first season that didn't necessarily give him a chance to inflect his own kind of personality but this time it felt very strong if you knew who he was you knew really who he was i'm gareth edwards and you're listening to making tracks on fantha tracks radio so what, what do you reckon? What's your thoughts for um for where he goes from there? Clearly the ship's got to get repaired. Assuming he even makes it to his destination,
1: he's in a mess. I mean that ship is a mess. I mean, he, and we, you know, when he landed on Tatooine in the docking bay with Peli and said, you know, the droids go running over, he's like, no, no, no. You know, he doesn't like all that. You know, in the previous episode, and he's like, no, no, let them at it. Crest could do with a with a fix. And then you get to this episode, and you're like, good grief, she couldn't be in more of a mess. It was quite notable how badly damaged the ship was. So I think, yeah, I mean, he's obviously a capable mechanic. He clearly does well for himself business-wise, financially, but ships are expensive to fuel, let alone fix. So Mm. I would imagine he can fix quite a lot when we see it. You know, he gets the ship in, in enough of a good shape that she can fly as long as they stay in the cockpit and you make sure you've been in the loo before you <laughs> before you take off <laughs> yeah Which i thought it was hilarious very western this episode wasn't it very very western the music the vibe of mm. it just like the previous episode that that is completely the tone that they're going for and nailing really well i think next episode where he goes i don't know he can't go far wherever he goes he's at a massive disadvantage because now he's got the child, Frog Lady, who looks after, I mean, she shot that yeah. thing off Baby yeah. Yoda's head. So, Good you, know, shot. you know, it was a great shot. So she can handle herself to a degree, but her priority is her offspring, her spawn that she's trying to get home so her family line can continue. No idea what her husband's going to be about or what he'll be like or anything. There's no indication there. He's now looking out for a lot of other people, but predominantly the child. I mean, in this one, you know, he's nearly like, the deal's off. It's impossible. We can't do it. You know, mm. forget it. And he melts to the mission sort of thing in a, in a good way. Like, oh, even he doesn't want to give up on people. That's just not really his style. Because I think that foundling aspect of his background is so yeah. ingrained into him, which is why he's connected with the kid. And now he's connected with her plight, with with her family line. It's, it could become a curse for him. He's ruthless. I mean, again, that jetpack scene, yeah, that's no, <laughs> you know, it's funny to watch, but that is kind of brutal. Could become a bit of a noose around his neck, the fact that he doesn't walk away from people. It could get him into trouble.
0: The start of this next episode, literally all they need to do is they just need to land and Frog Lady just needs to disembark. I mean, her husband could be waiting there and they could just run off. Could literally have no further consequence other than maybe he gets a bit of money to fix a ship. What I'm curious about is if it's going to be one of those fairly fruitless quests to find Mandalorians. So like every episode it's like, oh, if you go over here, there's Mm Mandalorians. And then he gets there and actually there's a new adventure, but there's no Mandalorians. But that's the question, isn't it, right now? How many are left in existence and how many are going to be hiding out from where? The last culvert, what's now, like he mentions, actually, are the Mandalorians that he saw and helped him out on Navarro, are those the ones who have moved on to another planet? My hope is that maybe this is where we meet Bo Katan or something like that. It could be about like, you know, that fruitless search for a few episodes of then we get a bit of a payoff.
1: Before this season, there was a worry that there would be a massive overload. We were talking yeah. about Boba Fett, we were talking about Bo Katan, we were talking about Sabine, we were talking about Ahsoka. We may have had our Boba Fett moment in the Mandalorian. But if we do have an episode with Sabine, and she is in this time period, we kind of know she is from the end of Rebels, and if she's there, then maybe Ahsoka's there, and other stuff that could come out of the woodwork. If it's drip-fed like Fett was in that first episode, that's not going to overload the show. It's not going to go from being very much its own thing on the down nose nose-to-the-ground sort of show like season one was. To being like guest star of the week well this episode it's bosk and next episode it's four or whatever yeah or for yeah. l-o-m as the bounty hunter comic pointed out which i was very notable that they've spelt it out l-o-m it's O-M. not for lom not we've always oh. said it's four l-o-m sorry it's got, always going to be four lom if they can sort of drip feed it out and he's encountering people but it's not too convict like everybody knows Doctor mm. everybody knows Hondo Wanaki, you know what I mean everybody around the galaxy is aware of everybody else and you realise really the criminal underworld in the Star Wars galaxy with not like, hundreds of millions of inhabited planets should be so big it's like an amoeba in the Atlantic knowing an amoeba in the Pacific sort of thing but they do yeah it'll be interesting to see how it pans out I'm very curious to see what chapter 11 brings because that ship is limping right now
0: for everything in one location
1: Daily news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, video and social media feeds. Bookmark Fanthatracks.com for Star Wars news 24-7, 365. Yeah! So whilst Chapter 9 of The Mandalorian famously featured what we think was Boba Fett at the very end of it. A rumour has floated out via Deadline, who are generally pretty solid, that Lucasfilm and Disney are potentially only a few weeks away from shooting a mini-series based around Boba Fett before they start working on season three of The Mandalorian. Now, given what we've just spoke about, Mark, that obviously Fett was in that episode very briefly, if it definitely was Fett, we know it's Morrison, that's for sure, but assuming that it is Fett and that, We don't see Fett again, or certainly in the short term, in The Mandalorian until he's kind of back in his glory, maybe. What do you think to this? Do you think this is Scuttlebutt? Do you think there's something in this? Do you foresee Disney doing miniseries rather than full series? Because that seems to be the road they're taking for Kenobi, so it doesn't seem beyond the boundaries of possibility. Do you think there's some serious scope in a show like this? And do you think it will be Tamura Morrison post that episode the Marshal, or do you think we might step right back to Return of the Jedi and tell the story of how he got out of the Sarlax pit and what he's been doing since?
0: There's a part of me that realistically thinks, well, hang on a sec, so we've had three episodes on Tatooine, we're now going to have Obi-Wan, which we assume and thoroughly expect to be set on Tatooine. So then, what's the likelihood of them actually wanting to plonk another series, bit a mini-series or not, solely focused on Tatooine? I do find it Harder to imagine right now because there's a part of me that almost thinks that surely there's got to be some elements of maybe that that set aside Boba Fett film that may or may not have made its way into The Mandalorian just Mm. by the very nature of um, Lucasfilm pulling stuff off the shelf and reusing ideas and concepts. We know that is something they do quite often. However, what it could do is it could set up for a really cool crossover episode like they do sometimes in American series where you have. NCIS and NCS New Orleans yes, kind of like yes. crossover. And, you know, that was really the introduction and, and the pilot for NCS New Orleans. There is potentially a way where you could have that kind of crossover and, you know, it gets everybody kind of on the same page and the same kind of time zone stuff. I wouldn't be surprised, and maybe this is the expanded universe slightly maybe informing what I'm thinking, but Bounty Hunter War Trilogy kind of started with Dengar picking up a rather beaten and bloody and, and screwed up Boba Fett from the edge of what was for Sarlacc pit and kind of nursing him back to health. Through that, you kind of have this flashback vehicle where you kind of jump back and you learn all about the Bounty Hunter Guild. So there is potential there that you could have Boba Fett in the present day set in Tatooine being collected either by the Tuscans or by the Jawas or by some moisture farmers and either they work out who he is, or literally there's just kind of like these kind of flashback moments of him just telling them about adventures before that. I kind of want to see Boba Fett in his prime, in his heyday. I don't necessarily want to see him now, post Return of Jedi. I think there's so little of Boba Fett in the original trilogy, there's so much scope for some really kick-ass adventures in that time period. What
1: about you? Going back to what you said about the Bounty Hunter Wars, it did feel like, you know, Fett came out like delirious and and you know, half melted and it was a mess, wasn't he? And, yeah. you know, and all those sort of issues that you would have felt like almost post traumatic stress as much as somebody like Fett could have it. But also that if you're looking at this time period now, there he is. He's got the gaffy stick, he's got the gun, he's, you know, he's, he feels like he's a sand person almost. You know? There's enough there that you would think there's a connection. And you saw the connection between Mando and the Tuscans. Mando can speak Tuscan. He can do TSL. He can do Tuscan sign language and all that sort of stuff. So there's communications there. Maybe that's a Mandalorian thing because I suppose if you look at the Mythosaur skull, it is a Bantha skull. So maybe there's more connection between them than we think. So that could be a thing. So maybe they want to follow the storyline of Fett getting out. And one thing that really struck me in this episode, when you went back into the cantina, and I gotta say, whoever's lighting this, whoever's making the choices for dusk and morning and stuff, so beautifully, and it was so difficult to do yeah. back in the day. It was either Photography beautiful. Daylight. Yeah, it was either bright daylight or middle of the night. They could only do one or the other, really, catching the light at the right time sort of thing, and making it match. Now they they can do it at will. And it's working beautifully. So that that was great. And sort of walking into this cantina was sort of an early evening kind of feel. And you're in that cantina and it felt just like I mean, of course, it's supposed to, but just the feel of it, the music. I love the music that was playing. Just things like that in that cantina just felt so on point. And it gives me huge confidence that that if they wanted to go back into the original trilogy era and tell stories, and you don't need Han, Luke, and Leia or anybody else, one of the advantages of Star Wars is there's so many people in masks and so many droids and such. So, you you know, you're not constricted like you might be with, with other stuff. But... That could be a series. There's there's a lot I would imagine happened to and with Fett between Empire, leaving Bespin, and Jedi, the comics now have kind of made it feel like he goes straight to Jabba's palace, which disappointed me because back in the day, that whole, you know, around the era of Shadows, you know, the Battle of the Bounty Hunters and all that. Yes, exactly. that, that like, was say. like a long trawl to get mm. there. It wasn't a hard job because he, he was being hunted, Fett was being hunted because he had the, the galaxy's had biggest the quarry.
0: Yeah, no, well, that's it. And this is kind of where... I guess they really need to sit down and if, if they're going to go ahead with this, you kind of think that somebody at Disney would probably say, okay, so what's the difference? What's this unique selling point to Boba Fett series that we don't get with the Kenobi series or with The Mandalorian? In some respects, the way that Din Djarin acts... We put the mm. um, the child to one side. You could lift out that Beskar and you could repaint it and put Boba Fett armor on, and you'd be quite believably think it's Boba Fett. Yeah, that might be the the problem. From a you know, me and you, for instance, and anybody listening to this podcast will be like, "Well, there's totally miles difference between them." But you know, the average Disney Plus subscriber yeah might be like, well, "I'm not quite sure." It might be that whole confusion about. We did have, and some people did, you know, niggle a little bit about having had um The Force Awakens and then jumping right back to Rogue One, mm. because it was just like, for the average moviegoer, there was no huge amount of like explanation. It was just like, here's the next yeah. Star Wars film the following year, and everybody just automatically assumed that it yeah. was a continuation.
1: Yeah, where's Ray? Where's Finn? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah, you know,
0: I had, I had, you know, quite a few friends, um, and some, of those, some of those who should have known better actually mm-hmm. asked me that at the time. So my mum, for instance, you can kind of forgive. She only knows Star Wars through me. Yeah, you know, other people, you can go, "Wow, have you not been paying attention?" Be interesting. I mean, I would love to see it. I would definitely love to see a Boba Fett series, mini series, feature length, whatever. I think it would be cool. But I still kind of go back to what we said last week and I do believe uh, this is just a it was just a way of getting Boba Fett back on play for future projects at some point it doesn't necessarily mean that because he's back now they need to cash in right now it might be that actually they, they cash in on the Boba Fett thing in five or ten years time after the Mandalorian's finished who mm-hmm. knows I don't know. So how credible is this kind of, is this, you know, is this just a a bit of scuttlebutt? I mean, Deadline have have been pretty reliable on some of their scoops from the past.
1: They are pretty reliable. And and I think of the big, you know, Hollywood Reporter variety, obviously they're the the newest kid on the block in that sense. But from what I've seen and what I understand, they're pretty solid. Again, it, does make sense in in the sense of what Bob Iger said about you know Mando being the, the mothership if you like and that he can see and would like to see spin-offs from it and people have spoke about movie spin-offs and such and Disney's a business and and they've got a big hit with the Mandalorian you know the, the first two episodes streaming numbers have been phenomenal people are buzzing about it you know if you get an episode like the passenger and the, and the big grumble I it's a bit of a filler. And you look back at that second episode of season one, you know, and you realise it really wasn't a filler episode at all. It was a linear adventure. It wasn't mm. a filler. How can you have a filler in a second episode of a show? Really ridiculous comment, really, when you look at it. And I compare it to something like, you look at Next Generation, for example, and they had like yeah. 24, 26 episodes a season. Mm-hmm. And you think how many episodes of that 24, and they had totally different constraints, completely different constraints. Budget was the biggest. So they would have shows where you'd have clip shows like Shades of Grey or you'd have bottle shows that were completely set on board the ship in like a single room like Measure of a Man or, or The Drumhead, stuff like that, that were actually brilliant episodes, especially Drumhead and Measure of a Man, for example. But point being is that they were constrained by their finances and by the technology and stuff like that. And also they were making 26 episodes of this damn thing every year. Six months of the year that show was Production. on. You come to Mando and you've got eight episodes a year. The longest episode we've ever had of Mandalorian was last week, and it was 53 minutes, and, and the next episode was 35, 36. It works for the show to skip between the two because the episode needs to be as long as the story is, and I love the fact that they don't try and pad it out. That's the
0: beauty of um, streaming because you're not mm. constrained to like having to fit X amount of commercial breaks in and yep. you know fit a runtime around like a TV schedule.
1: Yeah, I think it's working for the Mandalorian, and it's weird looking at Fett as a character, and you think, for us, Fett's been in our lives since 19... Well, pre-1980, really. He was in Holiday Special. He was a a mail-away figure before Empire even hit the screen. So, you know, he's been around for a long time as a character. But Mandalorian, Din Djarin, has got a TV show, and it's a hit TV show, and it's an award-winning hit TV show, you know? So to newer people right now, they'll go... Your number one Mandalorian, it's Din Djarin the Mandalorian, and then it's Sabine, and then it's Boba Fett. But to older fans like us, it's like, he's the original Mando. If they do something with Boba on television, and they can expand on whichever era they want to, and my gut tells me they'll want to sort of fill in the gap up to where we've seen him in the show, because I think you're right, I think he could come into it later. Yeah, I think
0: there's some scope on this. They've pushed the Obi-Wan production to march, so there's a little yeah. bit of a window, shall we say, Yeah. depending on where they shoot it. But They've got a choice of
1: volumes now, though, haven't
0: they? They do. They do have a choice of volumes. So there is that, you know, and there's nothing to say that but Lucasfilm aren't capable of having two TV productions up and running at the same time, because they totally are. Oh, yeah. It kind of feels like this has kind of maybe just come out of the, just from the reaction of what they saw from Chapter 9. If this is just the start of, like, the rumour process and that we're going to get more over time, well, then that's great, but... If we kind of take what they're kind of saying that they're going to be in production fairly soon, I don't necessarily see that as being that realistic because I don't think they could get through a whole cast a whole miniseries for something, anything to do with Star Wars, and for it not to kind of start to leak out into the press because you know Hollywood Reporter and Variety would be jumping all over those kind of like casting announcements.
1: But to think back to Underworld when yes, the, all the rumors say that Underworld was literally. Very few weeks away from filming, they'd cast it, they'd written it, they'd done costumes. You know, it was pretty much as near to pressing the green light as it could be, and Mm. then it it got pulled. And I don't know if we'll ever know the full reason. No. that, That was one of those that all the news and info of that kind of came out Not after, because in 2007, 2008, it was very much... I mean, I put all my old interviews from that time period when I was doing Lightsaber, now go on a Sunday on on tracks And Mm -hmm. I think the 148th interview went on on Sunday with Pete Velma from Lucasfilm. But that time period, one of the questions I would ask everyone is, are you looking forward to live-action Star Wars? I asked Peter Mayhew, if they asked you, would you come back and do live-action Star Wars? Kenny Baker, would you come back and do live-action Star Wars? And I was asking all these questions to these people almost uniformly he was like yeah i'd love to It'd be great you know ken ken colley it was like, oh yeah i could play the the son of my character or whatever or <laughs> or the granddad of my or whatever it might be you know and stuff like that so it was very much on our horizon. We knew yeah. the Clone Wars was coming and we knew live-action Star Wars was coming. And of course, live-action Star Wars never happened, but we never found out who'd been cast. It was only after when it was like, oh, the guys from, you know, Ron Moore from Battlestar apparently had written stuff and Stephen Moffat had apparently written stuff and all, you know, those st- big-name writers were apparently involved in, in things. And the artists that did Dark Times... He was uh, doing sort of a lot of artwork for it, mm, concept and Lu- stuff. Yeah. And Lucas bought all the artwork off him because he liked it so much. There's whispers and rumours out there of what had happened with that show. But point is, is that it was really close to go, and then didn't. And we didn't know much. And I think it ties into that whole gradient to that great story about Lucas, you know, sticking back, you know, virtually giving the middle finger to all the people who didn't want him to build a volume down at uh, that part of Skywalker. But nevertheless, I think now they've got this stagecraft technology, they don't need to go out on location anymore. Um, You make a brilliant point again. We've just had all these episodes of Mandalorian on Tatooine. We've got Kenobi coming, and that's clearly going to be not all, I would imagine, but mostly set on Tatooine. Do we want another show completely set on Tatooine? I'm looking at the picture of him right now with the twin sons in front of him. You know, maybe Fett Mm. at the end of that episode of The Mandalorian has come back to Tatooine. Maybe he's not always been there. We don't know. Maybe he's come back to get his armour and he's watching some thieving beggar fly off with his (laughs) armour. You don't know, do you?
0: No, exactly. You don't know. But hopefully we will do. It's definitely a desire to have a, a Boba Fett series of some description. It's just going to be a matter of when it's going to be set, when it's going to come out, how long we have to wait for it, really. So let's park that conversation there for now, I reckon. Let's call episode 62 done and dusted. If you do have a question, or if you want to reply to anything that me and Mark have said in this episode, or any episode, Mark's going to tell you how you can get in touch.
1: If you want to be a part of the action and stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news, visit Fanthatracks.com or check out the Fanthatracks app through the App Store to follow us on your mobile device. You can reach out to us and send in your listeners' questions by emailing radio at fanthatracks.com Comment, like, and share on any of our social media feeds at Tracks, And be sure to subscribe, leave a review, preferably a five-star one, please, on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcatcher or smart speaker of choice. And as always, thanks to James Semple for composing the Tracks intro, Adam O'Brien for our making tracks opening music, and Mark Daniel and Vanessa Marshall for our voice servers. And don't forget, every Sunday night, live, Facebook, and later in the week on YouTube, it's Good Morning Saturday with Brian and his co-hosts of the week, which this week is myself and Matt Booker.
0: I've just ordered myself a Razor Crest.
1: You've done it? I've done it. Really? Pulled the trigger. Whilst you're rabbiting
0: away, telling people how you can get in touch, I just did it.
1: Hey, bu- 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 this is a Star Wars show. I wasn't rabbiting That's away. I was away. Get it <laughs> of right. Of course.
0: Of course. It's all about the hoo-jibs. And everybody else, stay safe. Coming up next on Fantha Tracks Radio, it's Cannon Fodder.